everyone. We are back for another episode of the Disruptive Voices of the Pacific. We're disrupting the silence, the shame around abuse, around issues of pornography, uh, around all those things that particularly the Pacific culture has held us back in so that we can find freedom and hope. And one way to find hope is by hearing stories. And today we're going to hear another powerful story of a young woman, Elizabeth. Welcome. You're excited to be here, aren't you? (laughs) It's been a long day. It's the end of the day and we're both sitting here. Um, Now, Elizabeth is a mother of nine children, only nine. Amazing. She's a businesswoman here in Suva. We both went to Andy Thackenbauer School uh, and she was married for 20 years to an abuser, unfortunately. Her story is all too common. Can you just... Give us an overview of what was the type of abuse that you endured in your marriage of 20 years. Okay, we started out, um, the abuse started pretty early in our marriage. Um, I was the only one working, Uh, he wasn't working. And I think it was all coming out of an area of jealousy. He used to um, kind of make up all of these assumptions that I was, when I used to hang out at um, the company parties and things like that. That kind of sparked and triggered the abuses. Uh, so it was very physical from the start, um, pretty early in our marriage, uh, throughout my first pregnancy. Um, yeah, like we've mentioned, I have only nine children. So from the first pregnancy, from my uh, first child, the abuse had been happening. It was mostly physical and herbal, uh, verbal. Um, very much emotional. Uh, but um, there came a time when that had stopped, the physical abuse at least. That's when I took him to court. Um, so the physical abuse stopped from that point on. But the verbal abuse just got worse. Um, and it just took a toll on my emotional health. I, I can recall times when I had, I would just, you know, shut myself off of, from every um, everything I was involved in. I used to be a very uh, sociable person. I just became, you know, I would just, I would just not talk to anybody. Um, my self-esteem was below zero at the time. I my self-confidence was gone, and. I think that's why, because I've come through that, that's why when I see uh, women like that, it kind of triggers me and it motivates me to speak out and be able to help whoever I can reach uh, in terms of coming out and just, you know, admitting that this is not normal, you know, to to finally realize this is not normal, uh, especially in a Fijian society. Absolutely. Now, you've just said so much there. I want to just rewind um, because no woman grows up thinking, I want to marry an abuser. Uh, And you're part of the Catholic Church too. You just, as women, we just want to be loved. We want to find the man of our dreams. Were there ever any warning signs? You said the abuse started early, but were there ever any warning signs that he could be an abuser as you were dating him? Oh, I can't really think of of any warning signs, but maybe they were there. I just thought I was in love. And I may not have seen any of the warning signs that were there. Uh, But 
one of the things that when I look back, one of the things that should have triggered my um, thinking in that direction is the drinks. He was kind of like, uh, he loved his drinks more than anything else. Um, he was a heavy drinker. And, you know, I should have seen that as a red flag in terms of, you know, the consequences and the side effects of, of being a heavy drinker. Was the abuse worse when he had drunk? Um, not all the time. Sometimes when he gets drunk, he was a happy person. But normally, I, I suspect it was during the times when he had affairs. That's when I... Um, well, I would find out about the affairs later. But looking back, those were the times when he used to be very abusive. Yeah. Did you have anywhere to go to go for help, you know, when you were being beaten physically? Um, you know, you talked about being gagged, going blue in the face. I mean, were you afraid that you were he was going to kill you? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, there was a time when... It was during that time. Um, there was a few attempts on my life by him. Um, and I, I thought... I was, you know, that was my day. And then it was also during that time that I became suicidal. I, I remember one day when I just, I just wanted to run into the road and get bombed by a car or something. I just wanted an end to what I was going through. In terms of having support, I did not feel I had anybody that I could turn to, basically. I did not have family that I could trust enough to run to in those times uh, I felt like they were going to judge me instead of helping me uh, because that has happened before um, and I was just maybe too private a person to, to share what I was going through I didn't want everybody else to know that this is what my marriage is, is about I mean this is what it really is um, and yeah, maybe the, the public image that we had, I wanted, maybe that was also part of it. Um, my concern of people seeing us as this. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm, I'm happy that I've come out of that and I'm able to just say, yes, I have an imperfect marriage. I have left my husband because I, I choose life. I choose peace. I choose everything that is better than being abused. Yeah. Now, we've got a bit of noise in the background today, but that's okay. We're in a public place. <laughs> yes, it's Melbourne Cup Day here, and that's okay. We're in Fiji. Um, you had mentioned, you, you had told your mum eventually um, about the abuse. What was her advice to you? Um, no, my mum my had passed away before I got married, but uh, my dad, my dad um, was around and he's, he's actually one of the people that kept me in my marriage because he would always um, talk to me about sticking it out because that's what my mum did in, um, in his abusive days, that it will not last, that, you know, we will grow uh, to to love each other, and and as as time goes on, we will be able to grow together with our children. 
But unfortunately, it was very different in my case. Um, I believe that people make choices, especially when you start to have children. Um, these little, these little souls depend on you. So you know, I, I just believe that that's when you make choices. It's no longer about you and what you want, but it's you know, it's it's deeper than that. It's about your family. It's about the children that God has entrusted to you. Um, it's about raising them to in a way that glorifies God and, and in a way that, especially for me, it's important that they don't see that I am, um, you know, I, when I realized the culture that I was raising my children in, when I realized, oh my gosh, I am telling them that it's okay to be abused, that it's okay, because everything that was happening during that time was in their presence. Um, especially the verbal abuse. He'll be screaming uh, derogatory terms at me and all of these vulgar words at me in the presence of our children. And when I, when it hit me, when I realized, my gosh, you know, what kind of example am I setting for my children? Um, that's when I started to change things in my mindset. That's when I started to accept this is not normal, this is not healthy, I need to do something, uh, it's on me, I am the adult, you know, um, I have to do something. And that's when I started to, to take the other direction. That's when I started to think, no, you know, the church is not going to look after my children. My children were not entrusted to the church. Um, God gave me these children for a reason. And my gift back to him is how I raise them. And this is not a healthy environment to be raising my children. I think I, the, the decision to leave, though, hit me when I started to see um, patterns in my two eldest children. When I started to, to witness the lifestyle and things that they were doing. That's when I realized, oh my gosh, you know, it's all of this hurt that's been bottled up. It's all of this verbal abuse that they've been witnessing through the, through their early years, through till now that they are teenagers. That they are. My eldest son is now 21, uh, but happy to report we've been separated for nearly two years now. And during the time, you know, when it started, it was very difficult to try and deal with them and their issues. But as we speak, he has really mellowed down and he has become a very responsible gentleman. And I don't think that would have been achieved if we had stayed in that very abusive environment. Yeah. Yeah, that's so important because if we stay, um, as women, we think, oh, we've just got to stay for the children. But in fact, that is doing more damage and teaching our sons that this is normal behaviour, our daughters that this is normal. So well done for leaving. I just want to come back to your father um, because, you know, it. <laughs> I can't comprehend that a father would... Um, counsel his daughter to stay in the marriage if if I was in an abusive marriage my dad would want me out in two seconds so what is it that um, causes and I've heard many many stories of uh, Fijian parents who have just told their children you married him it's your choice you've got to stay there why do we want our children to be in danger rather than helping them get out yes uh, well I think there are several factors one of them is religion 
Uh, another one is tradition and basically just the culture that we've uh, accustomed ourselves to. Uh, for my dad, and I used to very much believe in the same thing that he believed in, which was, you know, um, in Fijian Vosota, you know, there are rewards to patience. Patience is a virtue and, and all of that. But I also believe that in a marriage, oh, and there's that thing about, you know, you made a vow um, in the presence of God. You made the vow in front of God that you are going to, you know, for better or for worse. Um, yeah. <laughs> and one time when my dad was telling me that, I said, yes, dad, I understand that. But, okay, so in Fijian, when you are drunk, it's called Mateni. And when you are sober, it's called Mbulavinaka. And it's the same thing. Bulavinaka is also good good health, right? So in good times and in bad times is also translated Bulavinaka and bad times is when things are not so good. So I said in reply I said Ta Yes, I vowed that in good times and in bad, like Bulavinaka Setovmate, not Bulavinaka Semateni, which is not not when he's sober or drunk. <laughs> that was not part of my vow. Um, he laughed. But I think we've kind of started shifting from that, which is like a good thing for the younger generation. There's hope for the younger generation. But for my dad and his advice to me, I think it was very common in the Pacific context, in the Fijian context. Um, very common in Fijian households, when you come back, you will be advised, go back. You know, we didn't do that. The the wedding was a huge one. You know, think of the people that that contributed to that. Think of all of the costs. Think of all of the efforts and all of that. Uh, and also, it was your choice. Nobody forced you into that marriage. You know, things like this. Um, yes, and, and I used to very much believe in that as well. So when my dad used to talk to me about that, I would shed tears, but I would accept it. And I would accept him back and continue on and then the abuse will just continue to the point when I had to report when I took him to court that was when change started to happen at least the physical abuse ended but the, the, the verbal abuse continued and I think we very much underrate that in the Pacific we underestimate the impacts of what verbal abuse does to a, to a person and for a woman with many children like me, it does that to me and my children. So imagine all of the, the people that are now broken from all of that verbal abuse. But yeah, coming back to that question, I think it's very much something that's common in, in Pacific households, in Fijian households, I must say. Um, but I, I think we also must appreciate that there is now beginning to be a shift in that area, in that thinking, um, couples, uh, at least Fijian uh, parents are now accepting that, you know, my daughter is coming back to me for help. It's better now that she's coming back to me rather than coming back to me in a coffin. Those are some things that uh, we've started to now talk about in Fijian um, families, especially between Fijian women. 
I've been part of some of these conversations and I know that there are women out there who are advocating for this, who are actually being voices for other women who just, you know, don't see any, way, any other way out. Yeah, that's brilliant and um, I can see that shift coming. We've got a long way to go but keep using your voice. Um, it's interesting that your husband's behaviour changed after you took him to court. Why do you think that's so? Um, to me, knowing my husband, to me it was more to him, um, well, because I feel like he felt like he was more powerful within the, the, the walls of our home. Uh, when he was exposed, when he was summoned to court, that kind of like, um, you know, to me it was pride, maybe, his ego, um, but I, I don't know, I don't understand him for that, but it took that action to actually stop the physical abuse. Um, so I think, I don't know, maybe he felt less of a man being, you know, um, told things like that in court, being lectured in court, because the the lady judge of, well, whoever, I don't know if that's the judge or magistrate, but she did give a little lecture about a man and their, uh, their responsibilities and against what he was doing to us, you know. Uh, you were supposed to be this, instead you were being this. You know, that, that lecture I think also helped um, change, at least for the physical abuse. But in terms of responsibilities and verbal abuse, that kind of continued. There was no changes that I could see in that area. Yeah, but at least the physical abuse, it didn't take me to the hospital or to the ICU, but yeah. Exactly. Um, at least you weren't in danger anymore. Um, and I asked that question knowing the answer because justice is so important and we think in the Fijian culture if we just forgive, if we overlook it, but it's important to take our abusers to court. It's important to send your sons <laughs> to court. It might not feel good, but unless there's justice, unless they're caught out, um, because for, for many abusers, um, they abuse because it's about power and control and suddenly they've been exposed, your husband was exposed um, and at least you were still safe but unfortunately he continued to abuse verbally which is still damaging. People will probably say, why, what is wrong with you Elizabeth, why did you stay with him for 20 years and nine children, why did you not get out after the first year of abuse? Right, thank you for asking me that question Letitia. In fact, um, I had mentioned to you several nights ago, I had this live interview with Dr. T on her platform in the Itoke language, in the Fijian language, and we did touch on this question. Um, the topic was co-parenting, but we actually shifted a little bit to address the stigma that's attached to women who actually live their marriage by choice. And I'm part of that group of women. Um, so. I left after 20 years of sticking it out, of um, um, staying in that abusive relationship even though the physical abuse had faded away. 
the verbal abuse and emotional abuse was very much toxic. Uh, but I stayed. Why did I do that? I think it's not uh, that straightforward. Um, other women in this type of relationship may be able to relate. But I think because you've invested so much. For me, I, I truly believe that I, I loved him. Um, maybe I still do, but I'm just not in love with him anymore. Um, but when you invest so much into that type of relationship, you know, just getting out of it is just, it's not a light switch that you can just switch off and forget about everything else and move on. Uh, in my case, I had left um, about three times before. I left, um, but there were pressures. There were pressures from family, there were pressures from society, there were pressures from uh, f um, friends, um, the church, and basically what I would say lack of support, uh, like true support. You know, uh, family would say, you know, I'm always here. Friends will also say the same thing. But when you do need someone to be there, in my case, I couldn't find anybody. Um, I'd ask, uh, I, I remember when I'd reach out to this friend uh, who, you, who used to be very close to me. Um, and then when I mentioned what my problem was, I didn't get a reply back. Um, well, she may have her reasons. I don't know. I still don't understand. But these are some of the things that I came through. Uh, and because I reached out and that was the response, I kind of like just shut off again. And I accepted that, okay, you know, this is my mountain. I need to conquer it and conquer it on my own. Um, so I came through uh, all of what I had to come through, thinking that it's my cross and I need to bear it. Uh, and I did. I carried that cross mostly on my own. Um, uh, there were times when family would help, but the, f the help and the support was not was never consistent um, because and I don't think we, I, I have the right to expect that consistency in the support that we get but these are some of the, the contributing factors this is these are some of the reasons why I would always just go back and accept my fate <laughs> more or less and accept that okay you know this is my cross I need to carry this whether I crawl Oh, I could stand and carry it. I need to carry it. And, and that's how I took it. Um, I did share what I was going through in, with one of our priests. He was very helpful. And at that time, when we were in, the, in that parish, he was a very good support. Uh, morally, uh, financially, um, and... Every time when I would call on him and just try and share the Lord that I was, he would listen. And I feel like that was the most important thing for me at that time. I just needed somebody to listen to me, to just tell me that, you know, that is perfectly normal. What you're going through is normal. You know, it's not normal, the abuse, but the, what you're feeling is normal. The feeling of not being worthy, it's normal because of what you're going through. 
But what you're going through is not normal. The abuse itself is not normal. You know, I just... And that was something that I got from this particular priest. Um, he encouraged me that, you know, um, separation is not a sin because I was such a staunch Catholic and he knew this. Uh, he had to remind me that you're not sinning by separating from him. You're not sinning at all. You're still a child of God and God understands you perfectly. Way more than I, way more than your husband, way more than your family. And I feel that was the kind of support that I needed, you know. But it wasn't consistent because he has his role as a priest and he would go away from our area for some time and he would be unreachable. But he, I felt there was a time when I was kind of like dependent on his moral support especially. I was dependent. Whenever I would face something like that, I would think of calling him. And then I realized he is not there full time for me. He is there helping everybody else. I shouldn't be selfish with my requests and all of that. So I started, I think from there is when I started to actually try and just be stronger than I was, to, to accept that he is abusive. He doesn't love me the way I think he loves me. He's not doing what he does because he loves me. You know, abuse is not a sign of love. And I can tell you that I believed that for a long time. He abused me because he was jealous of me because he loved me. But that wasn't the case. I mean, I had to accept that um, him being jealous of me and hitting me and abusing me verbally was not love. Uh, and for the longest time, I believed that I had actually believed it was a sign of love from him. You know. Sorry, can I stop you there? Why would you think abuse is a sign of love? In, in my case, mostly because he would verbally abuse me, he would physically abuse me because he would accuse me of, of having um, extramarital affairs with my workmates, with random people. Uh, and I felt like, oh my gosh, he is so in love with me that he just manufactures all of these theories. And it used to be like kind of like sweet at the beginning until the abuse was too much. <laughs> and um, I think I, I give credit to this particular priest because I appreciated, especially now when I look back, I appreciated his role in my journey. Um, when he opened my mind to that, to the fact that it's not love, that is abuse, that is abuse, and it's not normal for you to 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 want to live in that in that kind of environment. Um, and it's also okay to separate from your husband, because especially in a Catholic setting, I never thought that was okay. Um, I will tell you when I first separated from him. I couldn't even pray over my food. That was how guilty I was just because I had separated from my husband. And um, I can't recall when I was basically told in my religion that, you know, you can't separate. But it's something, because I was born Catholic, uh, it's something that I had just accepted. And it was a no-go zone for me in my Catholic belief. I, you know... You need to work out your family issues, and work on your marriage, work on your issues and move on. But I also 
have come to accept that you can't be working out your issues on your own. You need to be working it together if there was hope of change. And you can only have hope in, in working out a marriage if change happens. And in my case, there was no change forthcoming from my partner, from my, my husband. Yeah. yeah, and you've really mentioned some really important things there. And as a pastor, I just want to reiterate, because I know in the Fijian culture, it's a, a hard thing to get past that we can allow people to separate but I don't believe God wants his daughters to live in abuse or if the woman's abusing the husband. Um, anyone should let God hates abuse. And the minute he starts abusing um, a woman, the minute the husband starts abusing his wife, he's broken the covenant because we make a covenant before God, before people to love, to cherish, to lay down our life. The role of the man is to love his wife like Christ loves the church and Christ died for the church so if he's abusing you he's already broken the covenant so I believe you have every right to separate and as you've found out the abuser never cha changes women stick in there for so long hoping he's going to change and you do love him and there's moments where he's amazing but I've, uh, through all my years of research and talking to women the abuser doesn't change unless there's something really dramatic so what was the final straw that got you and your five, your nine, nine children to pick up their bags? Did you move out or did he move out? No, he had to move out because uh, it was our house. Um, yeah, maybe worthy to mention he was, I was the only one working throughout our marriage. Um, he was basically dependent on me as well. Um, and yeah, I think that kind of made it worse for me because I mean I had the pressure of work and then I had motherhood duties to come back to in the evenings and but every time I would come back to to verbal attacks from him um, which most times ended up being physical um, yeah for us uh, the final straw for me because we also came through a stage when he got in heavily involved with drugs uh, there were days when I nearly lost my life during that time, uh, but then we came out of that. Um, I believed he had left the, the drug trade, and so he was good for a good few months. But then he, I started seeing the patterns again, and I thought, you know, I started to see uh, some very unhealthy patterns in my two eldest, eldest children. To me, that was the voice that really uh, spoke to me. Uh, and I really told myself, you got to do something. There's only two adults in this family. And the other adult, you already know his, um, his potential when it comes to decisions like this. So it's on you. Like, I do this a lot. Letitia, I do this a lot. I speak to myself. I talk, I pep talk myself because I don't feel I have anybody who can actually do that to me. So I pep talk myself a lot. And I was telling myself, woman, you got to rise up now. You got to remove yourself and your children from this toxic environment. Um, you're already seeing the effects now in the two eldest. You do not want the same thing to trickle down to the rest of the, the seven. And that's when I made that decision. That's when I... Um, uh, took out a DVRO on him, uh, removed him from the house, 
Of course, that wasn't easy. He, I mean, I still loved him, but I had to make a choice between what I thought was love and what I was seeing as real. Um, so I had to accept that he doesn't truly love us the way I had um, thought and maybe the way I had believed. Um, he was in here for himself and when he didn't have his way, abuse was the only way. And um, that's when I um, took out the DVRO on him, removed him from the house and began the separation. Um, working on the divorce, um, he's right now he's still refusing to sign the papers and I haven't really gotten time to commit to the process because I've started work again and I've been moving around and there's also the business and the children so yeah it's kind of very challenging for me in terms of uh, managing my time between what I need to do about this marriage um, and the rest of my my responsibilities but yeah, um, we've now been separated for nearly two years. I'm also happy to report that we've come out of that toxic engagement, like when we just freshly separated. It was very hard for me to co-parent with him because he was always on the attack mode when I reach out to him. Uh, but over the months, over the one year, He's kind of mellowed down. Um, now uh, we can actually be civil with each other, especially when it comes to matters about the children, um, especially about their education. When I cannot be at their meeting, at their CAPS meeting, and I need him to be there, um, there's now a smoother uh, communication uh, when we actually talk about these things. But it's taken this many years, it's taken uh, this many months of separation to come to that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm happy. I'm a very happy person now. Uh, Letitia, you would know from my Facebook posts that, I've well, if you had known the me that left and the me now nearly two years later, this is a totally different person. Uh, I am a much happier person now. I have found myself again. I have started to engage in things that I actually enjoy. Um, I don't have to be walking on eggshells anymore. There is no more guest lighting. Um, and I don't have to worry about going back home and answering to so many accu accusing questions. And things like that. So I've become this, I've been liberated in a lot of ways. And as a result, I've also seen changes, positive changes in my children. They've now, we now have a very um, open line of communication where they just come to me with their problems. They just talk freely. We joke and we laugh around. We dance with each other at home. And, you know, it's such a very different environment from what we had two years ago. Yeah, like the children will just never be able to open up, even to me, because I had become toxic too, because of all of the abuse that I was absorbing. Um, I, I had actually become toxic to my children as well. The things that I were coming out of my mouth to them was not healthy at all. So also, that was something that I kind of woke up to. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm being abusive to my children as well. 
um, yeah, you asked what was the final straw. To me, those were things that kind of triggered my, you know, it was like, oh, there needs to be something. I need to do something and I need to do it now before the rest of the children suffer the same way. Well, our time has gone. Um, you are amazing. You're one of my heroes. Thank you for your courage in speaking out. Um, um, you contacted me about a year ago wanting to write your own story, so I'm still waiting for it because we need more Fijian women to write their stories. We need more books. Something powerful happens when we put it in writing. But um, we honour you for all that you've been through, but the choices you made, the hard choices, but now you're a woman um, who is making their way forward. You're setting an example to your kids. So thank you so much for being so vulnerable and honest with us today. And uh, I just want to say that if there's anyone listening to this, if you have a story, please contact me. Please contact Elizabeth. We are here to help. Let's break the silence. Let's disrupt the shame. Um, and let's create a better Fiji. Thank you so much. And we'll see you again next week. Easily, I see your suffering. I see the pain beneath that smile come out from hiding the sun is rising let the islands hear reason lay crown